I learned to love voting from a young age. Sure, I couldn't have my own ballot as a kid, but my mom would always let me mark the X on hers. The choice always proceeded with due diligence and heated family table conversations. In our house, democracy was serious stuff. But it wasn't just about voting. For my parents, it was part of caring for their community. For them, democracy extended to community organizations, our schools, even family decision-making. Getting involved and speaking up were important responsibilities. My job through the majority of high school and university, working retail at a home decorating and fabric store, was decidedly undemocratic. This made my first job out of university in a unionized workplace something remarkable. Using our collective action, we reined in unreasonable expectations for overtime. Using our collective voice, we spoke frankly about what we did want from our work. This was workplace democracy. The value of democracy in all its forms, voice, representation, commitment to community, have grounded me in my elected job now as a school board trustee in downtown Toronto. The trust of people who put their ex next to my name is a privilege and responsibility I work to honor every day. Decisions about our lives and livelihoods are often determined by the people whose names we put an X beside. But engaging in democracy isn't equal for everyone. A temp worker might not be able to speak up about bad working conditions. A newcomer searching for work can struggle with getting involved in their child's school. A young person in the gig economy who doesn't see themselves represented in higher offices might decide not to vote. How can decent work ensure we all get to participate in our democracy? I'm Asma Malik with the Atkinson Foundation. This is Lovers and Fighters, the second podcast series on Atkinson's Just Work It platform for podcasts and events for and by millennial workers. Here we meet people wrestling to hold the line between heart and grit in today's decent work movement. What do workers, especially millennial workers, love enough to fight for? We invite conversations across generations, within sectors, and more to understand and be inspired by the motivations and questions driving their work. Taking policy-driven and local approaches, Chris Copperthwaite and Nicole Gillardi are working different strategies to strengthen the fabric of communities, local leadership, and democracy itself. Chris is the co-founder and executive director of the Open Democracy Project, a not-for-profit working to empower everyday citizens to drive change through civic and political action. Nicole is a philanthropist with the Community Foundation of Greater Peterborough. In fall of 2017, Nicole led the Vital Conversations Campaign, a partnership with the Atkinson Foundation, to get people talking about what matters in Peterborough. Using a simple card game, volunteers hosted conversations with neighbors to share their priorities for municipal advocacy and build connections across difference. In this conversation, we talk about what brought them to love democracy, the relationship to decent work, and who is making greater participation possible. Here's our conversation. Um, I'm going to begin by just asking each of you to tell me your name and your title and who you work with. And uh, let's start with you on the phone, Nicole. My name is Nicole Gallardi. I'm the Manager of Programs and Communications at the Community Foundation of Greater Peterborough. I'm Chris Cowperthwaite. I'm the Executive Director of the Open Democracy Project. Uh, we're a volunteer-driven organization. We work with civic campaigners, uh, both political uh, campaigns as well as uh, other types of advocacy. Ag- advocacy and uh, change-making campaigns, and also with organizations working to support them. We really feel that we're part of sort of a campaign learning community more broadly, uh, especially in Canada right now. 
Very cool. Well, we're so excited to speak to you both because we're talking about democracy today. Um, at the Atkinson Foundation, we're very preoccupied with decent work, but also how it intersects with uh, the things that we love enough to fight for, which is the big theme of this series. How did you come to love democracy enough to make it the work that you're doing now? So I grew up, I grew up here in Peterborough in a working class uh, family. My parents were able to buy a house which is a really big deal. You know, they had four kids, they'd been renting. And it turned out that the house that they bought was in an area that flooded. The sewers and the storm drains around our house would, would just overflow and they'd fill up our house with, well, with sewage. You know, they started reaching out to our municipality, writing letters to city councillors, talking to folks at Public Works writing letters to the mayor. They started speaking at council. They started circulating petitions around the neighborhood. They started involving the media and uh, they just kept fighting. And this, it took years, they were fighting. It took a toll on my parents and, uh, and on our family. It's not easy to fight. But as a young child watching this, it was really, you know, it was really inspiring. I didn't grow up in a political family. My parents aren't and weren't activists, but, you know, they, they had this dream. They had this life that they wanted to build. They'd worked really hard against a lot of odds, and they weren't going to let it go. Um, I'm not sure if it's a love story. <laughs> it's definitely a fight story. But underneath it, you know, there's, for me, it's about the capacity um, of everyday people and, and of marginalized people to take action and to and to make change in their lives and in their community. And, and so I think that's, you know, if I have to talk about what I love about democracy, it's that possibility. So, I mean, I grew up in a family where there was a lot of privilege. At the same time, our family uh, was a little different in the sense that we really grew up in a household where there were really no boundaries on who a person could, you know, fall in love with. Uh, my mother came out when I was in grade five. Uh, I was coming, th going through the process of coming out through that, my, you know, high school years. That, at the time, was not the norm in our community. Seeing how my parents decided to stay in community and help the community evolve, seeing that kind of thing happen over multiple decades was inspiring. I guess the, the other thing uh, that happened early on was in the, the Mike Harris years and certainly the way in which Citizens for Local Democracy came together, uh, whether that was meeting in our you know, living room or uh, the larger community gatherings and rallying against amalgamation of cities amongst other uh, challenges at the time, you know, seeing how community came together and how that then led and translated into a political career of my mother, who went on to become the Premier of Ontario seeing that process and seeing the challenges that uh, she fought for was early roots. How does work help or hinder people's capability to participate in democratic life? I mean, we're pretty obsessed with decent work, but it, it definitely has practical implications when it comes to some of the things that you're talking about. I mean, there's the really, uh, really simple but extremely important material connection. If you're struggling every day to live, that's a huge barrier to overcome you know, in order to, to engage and, and, and try and uh, participate or change systems around you. If you're someone who, who does have decent work, not only does that sort of help you get over that material barrier, but I think part of having decent work is, you know, feeling dignified in the work that you do and feeling a sense of 
value in what you do. And, and that sense of being able to contribute to something means that people are more likely to feel like they're a part of something. Learning the skills to, you know, participate in democracy, you know, it's something that really does uh, take practice and it has to happen, you know, in community with the messiness of that process of bringing people together who are often volunteers, who are often really uh, emotionally charged, you know, because of an issue that's affecting them locally, right? You know, in the private sector, there's lots of, you know, accelerators and, you know, uh, uh, funding and whatnot for uh, for people starting out. But for those of us that are trying to build social capital and connect communities, there isn't the same type of investment uh, being made. So we have to go and find ways to get that experience and accelerate, quote unquote, our own our own projects. And uh, we think that getting involved on, in the electoral system and other change campaigns that are happening are great ways to sort of uh, to get that experience of engaging in democratic process. I'm going to turn it over to you, Nicole. I know that there is some very concrete work that's been happening in Peterborough around the Vital Conversations Project. And love for you to share just a little bit about that. And most of all, what did you find out about what people loved and are ready to fight for through the Vital Conversations initiative. We looked at some of the trends that were really important to our communities, the kind of stuff that was really impacting people's quality of life. So we looked at uh, our local economy and, and the job market and decent work and how that was changing and what that meant for people. We looked at our, our political, our local political sphere We looked at the kind of leadership that we have and the kind of leadership that we want and the ways that our community um, is changing rather quickly. And we looked at belonging and inclusion. So thinking about, you know, when we're talking about voice, whose voice is being heard, who who's able to participate in our community and, and, uh, you know, who's facing barriers and how can we address some of that? So there were three themes and we asked people to get together with a small group of their friends or neighbors. So we're talking about groups of five to eight people sitting down. um, We gave them conversation starters and we gave them prompts so that people could come to the conversation a little bit, you know, a little bit at arm's length from, from these issues. And so somebody was there to play devil's advocate and somebody was there to question, you know, whose perspectives are missing from this group. And somebody was there to ask how far have we come on this issue or what's already happened or where are we going? And we had over 700 people uh, take part in those small, small group conversations. And people told us how fundamentally different it was to have that kind of a conversation. So to talk about real things that matter to them in their community in a way where it was okay to disagree and it was very asset based. So we asked people, what's happening already that we can support and what else can we do? And we tried to spur people to come up with action ideas around, um, you know, that flowed from their conversations. And we had over 600 action ideas. We were able to, to distill all of those 654 ideas into 10 themes. Those themes are things like making sure everyone can, um, can meet their basic needs in our community improving transportation. And so whether you're on this side of the political spectrum or that one, 
most people can connect to to these 10 priorities. You know, so much of what um, we're grappling with, especially in these political times, is how do we have conversations that are productive and constructive across difference, right? And it seems like that, that was such a big part and theme of Vital Conversations. And I also love that it was like um, centered around a deck of cards, right? Which also makes it very much on trend with uh, all the many uh, games nights that I'm invited to and uh, the board game cafes that have proliferated in Toronto. So I think also, you know, the framing is so important, but also the approach. How can decent work activists use tools to create more inclusive democratic processes in Canada? Every you know quarter, new, new tools are coming out on the market, right? And we need to uh, be trying to figure out which are going to be best to help us uh, achieve our goals. Uh, and so with Democracy Kit, which is one of the um, programs that we have at the Open Democracy Project, we're basically providing a space where civic campaigners can contribute in an open way resources to share with other campaigners under a Creative Commons license. And so that's part of the answer we feel to the question, which is that, you know, we've been intentional about choosing uh, to use tools that are widely adopted, you know, whether that's like a G Suite, most people have a Google account or whatnot. So it's trying to decrease barriers to using technology and then providing in an open way resources that people can copy and make their own and then contribute back to the kit. If you've got the right people around the table, it doesn't have to be a lot of people. It just needs to be, you know, probably three to five people, you know, to start out. If you've got a really uh, committed group of three to five people and you spend some time to think through how are we going to communicate with each other? How are we going to um, save our knowledge that is essentially our work product? How are we going to gather data on the community that cares about what we're doing? How are we going to improve relationships with those folks? And how are we going to work together? I mean, I think that's a key question. And if you get that right with that group of three to five people, if they're enjoying the process, then you really have a solid foundation. And my experience is if you get that right, then uh, if you set a goal together, you're going to achieve it because you're enjoying the process and you've got the tools that eventually help you grow faster. That's the benefit of using digital technology. It's that you can do more with the same resources. It starts with that core team. And so, you know, I think the the who part of the work that we do, and especially around democratic engagement, is always something that we're very interested in because that matters so much. Apparently, Avengers is the is the greatest crossover kind of of all time. Well, we've been asking the question about imagining a team of democracy Avengers, who you'd assemble for the greatest crossover campaign for decent work. Let's see, we have Rima Lee, who works with the New Canadian Centre, who's doing some great community engagement work and community development work around being a welcoming and inclusive place and building safe places, um, safe spaces for, for newcomers and for racialized folks. Alicia Rubaka works with the uh, Nourish Project in Peterborough, and she's running two pilot projects right now that are basically intensive civic literacy workshops that she's working from the Samara, uh, some of Samara's toolkits. We have a collective in, in Peterborough that have started uh, an organization called Reimagine Peterborough that's engaging uh, residents around official planning processes because, you know, when we talk about democracy, often, yeah, we think about elections and this and that, but 
planning processes, especially at the local level, are uh, one of the most important places for, for folks to be involved and to shape, uh, to shape their communities. I could build a pretty robust Peterborough dream team, I think, yeah. And so do you, Chris. Uh, can you imagine a team of Democracy Avengers uh, that you'd like to assemble for the greatest crossover campaign for decent work in modern times? Anna Serrano, um, who's at the Canadian Film Centre, who's really thinking about the future, where, where we're headed with questions like, say, uh, Alphabet coming in with sidewalk labs in the city and those this conversation around smart cities, um, which is so directly relevant to how we structure our communities and our workplaces. She's really got her finger on the pulse of that conversation right now in Toronto. There are uh, folks they're doing amazing work places like Progress Toronto. You know, Michael Hay, who's uh, who's started this organization that's going to be working on very specific issues and supporting candidates, uh, you know, to groups that are uh, you know, like Next Wave Toronto, which is a group that's trying to fundraise for th- uh, three candidates in open seats, folks on building the city up and uh, and fighting for issues like uh, a decent work. And, you know, you both uh, have like painted a really great picture about the people who are leading the charge on the and it does uh, it does make me think that uh, when it's been said that it's a historic moment in the fight for democracy, that 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 seems pretty accurate and it seems right now. So I want to quickly ask you, uh, what do you think about that? And I guess most of all, what is the most important thing that we can do if that's the case? Okay, awesome. Yeah, I I, I really do think that there is this is a, a key moment. Getting involved on a local campaign is one of the most important things we can do. So there are thousands of people that are taking the time to run for office and multiples of that that are helping them uh, in that process. But they're still very, very lean operations and they need volunteers. They need people who are going to get out and make a a financial contribution or who are going to put up a sign or knock on a door or help them, you know, develop a comm strategy. So I I really encourage, you know, I like to say not everybody is going to run for office, but absolutely everybody can get involved on a municipal campaign. Um, And I believe that that is a really important entryway to get to meet other people in your community, to see what's uh, and hear what residents at the door are saying is a problem locally. And I think that then is a starting point to change the way you're doing other things in your work life or in your volunteer life or whatnot. You learn a huge amount by um, talking to those folks and working with other people on a campaign. So I encourage everybody to get involved in in an election race, but specifically municipally uh, in 2018. That's great. And Nicole, how about you? If this is a historic moment in the fight for democracy, um, what is the most important thing that we can do in your view? Uh, we need to connect people across difference and we need to connect people to their communities. When they have a stake in that, they're going to be paying attention and they're going to fight for that, right? It goes back to what you're willing to fight for. You know, when you're, when you're connected to your community, when you have something that you love there and it's shared, it's a collective thing, then you're going to fight for it and you're going to fight with other people. And I think that's what gets us uh, through this moment, this particular moment. What keeps you in the fight? And how do you keep love alive? What do you do to feed it? I I mean, I I think that what keeps me in the fight is definitely the people I get to work with. You know, in terms of uh, sustaining myself in the work, you know, I I think, you know, and especially in in recent years, as uh, uh, things you know get busier and busier, coming back to 
family and making the time to um, to spend time with you know whether it's the grandparents or the you know the nieces and nephew or in those moments are really uh, increasingly meaningful but also I would say and, and this is something that you know I as a, as as a guy there's some stigma sometimes around uh, the whole uh, mental health piece and I think it's a really timely topic just to say that I, I, I probably not would not be where I am today if I hadn't been doing therapy every two weeks for since 2007 right so mindfulness has been a, a really important part of my ability to stay in the work. Um, uh, communities like the Metropolitan Community Church, which uh, I've found a really great place to be connected to the LGBT community. And so coming back to those places um, and uh, and and really being intentional about my own kind of mental uh, health and at least, uh, you know, <laughs> not, all, not not saying that there's easy answers on that, but uh, but that's how I stay in, stay in the game. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. And how about you, Nicole? What keeps you in the fight? How do you keep the love alive? How do you feed it? Do you know, at the end of the day, I just, I believe in people. It sounds like a goofy thing to say, but it's an important place for me to go to ground myself. I really do believe in the capacity of people to do good things. I've started to put more celebration into my work. And I think it's so important for us to stop and celebrate and not like, oh, let's take a minute to pat ourselves on the back and get back to work. No, you really have to have a party (laughs) and see the good work that's happening in your community. I think uh, celebrating is just, it's um, something we don't do often enough. So we're going to go into a segment, love versus fight. I'm going to say a thing and then you're going to say love or fight and uh, we'll alternate Nicole first and and then Chris. You ready? Ready. Okay. Ready to go. Election day as a statutory holiday. Love. Love. All right. That's interesting. Well, I mean, I I am a big fan of experimenting because we've got some things that are broken right now with voter turnout, um, and I think we need to try new things. And what do you love about it, Nicole? I'm still on the celebration thing, so I'm thinking like you you would have like after vote parties, you know, and. And so everyone goes out to vote, it becomes a big thing, and then you get to go to your party after and talk about politics, or not. <laughs> Community potlucks. Love. Oh, love. Yeah, that was a reluctant <laughs> love. Why is that? <laughs> Every community organizer has a love-hate relationship with potlucks, so... But I'm also a believer when it's possible, uh, you should provide food for people, and... I think it goes back to that celebration thing. Fair enough. Fair enough. How about you, Chris? Oh, I'm. I, I love all sorts of food, uh, so I'll, I won't say no to uh, uh, coming together with uh, some food involved. Politicians' fashion statements. <laughs> Fight. It it sends me to a very gendered place uh, where I look at the burdens that women in politics have to carry. Um, and the barriers that women have to overcome uh, to be taken seriously as leaders. I cringe. I just cringe. Anytime someone's talking about hair or clothes in any context, but in politics, it's just, it's, it's brutal. Yeah. How about you, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's some, uh, you know, if you look at the way that that's being used online, um, you know, certainly looks and tearing things down are really easy to get clicks online. You need to figure out how to you know, get attention um, without, uh, without having to go there so much. 
thank you so much to you both. Can you quickly share with us where folks can find you uh, online? Absolutely. I'm at CSWC and Democracy Kits at Democracy Kit on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Nicole? You can find the Community Foundation of Greater Peterborough at cfgp.ca and you can also search the hashtag VitalPTBO. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks, Asma. Thanks, Nicole. Thanks so much. Democracy, like decent work, is easily taken for granted when we have it, until we don't have it anymore. When we're unable to participate in decisions about our workplaces and communities, we can feel like cogs in a machine, economic units of production, even victims. Apathy, cynicism, and mistrust can steal the power that comes with our human, legal, and constitutional rights. If we don't actively use these rights every day, we can too easily lose them. That's why activities and tools like Vital Conversations and Democracy Kit are important. They demystify democracy and build power for everyone so that we can participate fully and govern ourselves better. But making the decision to use that power, to become informed and to get involved in the democratic process is not something we do only once. Over and over again, we're called to live into the responsibilities that come with our rights and to move from the sidelines closer to the center of things, from bystander to contributor. Each day brings another invitation to fight for public policies like a $15 minimum wage, or to elect the person we want to represent us on a committee, a council, in a legislature, or at the bargaining table. Accepting even one invitation is a powerful act. I hope you'll join Chris, Nicole, me, and many of our listeners in taking that action today and in letting the world know what you love enough to fight for. Thanks for listening. Lovers and Fighters is produced by Vocal Fry Studios and hosted by me, Asma Malik, with additional support from Nora Cole. You can find our show notes at atkinsonfoundation.ca slash podcast. Follow us on Twitter at AtkinsonCF and on Instagram at JustWorkIt underscore. Subscribe to our Just Work It platform on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud so you never miss an episode. And your positive ratings and comments ensure that other people can find us too. We love hearing from you. Get in touch with us on social media or at JustWorkIt at AtkinsonFoundation.ca.